Hey, Scott, it's Michael. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am super. Where are you? Are you in Sydney right now? I'm in Brisbane. Brisbane, even better. It is. <laughs> yeah, even better. Just when don't people don't tell people in Sydney that. Yeah, but believe me, if we were on the phone and you said Sydney, I would just would have said okay. But I know where <laughs> Brisbane is in relation to Sydney, and I'm actually making a value judgment, and I'm happy to say that as a non-Australian, I can do that. I'll leave it up to you as to how you handle the other side of that. Yep. <laughs> no comment. I like it. Um, so where when did we meet? Was it a month ago or so? Uh, yeah, it was about three or four weeks ago in Bangkok. And how did your trip go, by the way? Trip went really well. So I had a week in Bangkok with the other 10 Australian startups that were over there. And mm. then uh, then I had a week in Singapore doing a lot of business development work, which went really well. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it was a good trip, but nice to be home. Did you end up at Echelon as well? Uh, no, I left the day before Echelon, unfortunately. So no, fair uh, maybe next time. I ran into the guys from um, QUT there. It was actually quite interesting. I had not expected to see them, or at least I didn't remember that they said that they were going to be there. But Echelon ended up being interesting this year. It's the first time I've been in a few, but it was worth it for me. So, Yeah, I've heard good things from the team when they got back. Yeah. So do you want to give me a little bit of background on you and what you were doing before you were doing Creatively Squared? And then we can jump into what that business is about and how that's going as well. Yeah, sure. So I've got a background originally in science. Um, I started in pharmaceuticals and research and development and did three or four years there. Then I was in oil and gas doing a lot of technical project work and I got sick of that and went back and did an MBA and then just got involved in innovation from there. So uh, I was basically after that working for about four years in strategy and innovation with a variety of consultancies. Uh, helping large corporates and government think and act like a startup because that's what the book told me to do. Um, <laughs> what, is that, what does that mean exactly? And, and well, I'm always curious how that works, right? How do you tell a company that cannot move on a dime or stop on a dime how to act like that? Uh, well, you can. It, it's difficult. <laughs> and that's why I stopped doing it and decided to get into my own startup. But the, the thing that really appealed to me, I, I've always liked solving problems. And I think the earlier you are in a business, the more impact you can have and the more you can actually solve a problem and take it from start to finish. So I just constantly got earlier and earlier in that process and, and working with corporate innovation teams and showing, you know, taking people that were passionate about that out of their day jobs and showing, giving them the tools to take an idea and turn it into a business model and here's how you should validate it um, and do that cheaply and quickly. Uh, that was really fun for a, quite a while. Um, but then you kind of get the the bug to jump in and do it yourself. Do you do you did you find when you were doing that that the humans, so the people that you were actually interacting with, were actually really open to the methodology that you were talking to them about? In other words, that they were really interested in innovation, but that sometimes the institution itself got in the way of actually enabling that or enacting that. Is that a fair Definitely. characterization? Yeah. Definitely. One of the first things we would always try to do is to separate the team that we were working with from their day job and from the rest of the rules and processes um, and create kind of a safe space, both both physically um, as well as sort of, um, you know, from the rest of the, the business. Because it, it, is, it is difficult. And, and um, But when you give people that have that appetite for risk and that um, that ability to change things quickly, that time and space to do things, um, you can get some really, really productive outputs pretty quickly. 
So it's fun. It gives people sort of license to do what you know they want to be doing, but uh, they're kind of scared to take the risk to, to leave that comfort of a day job. Yeah, I mean, I think there's big precedent for this as well, right? If you go all the way back to the Macintosh team was separated out at Apple, and then IBM actually did the same thing by moving their PC division or just starting their PC division in Florida, right? I mean, they never thought they could have been able to accomplish that because both of those businesses were running counter to existing businesses, but they were people inside of them that really wanted to do something different and innovative. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things we'd always start with is by asking sort of mid-level managers who are the biggest problems in your life because it's typically the employees that are always asking questions or pushing back on how things are done. Um, They're often the ones that are very talented and successful in achieving things, but they're also a pain in the butt to manage. So if you can pull those people out quickly, you've normally got a good team to go and do something with. Fair enough. And do you find now that you're doing your own thing that that's actually a fertile ground for you to hire people? particularly if you're a revenue generating business. In other words, you can go back to a corporate and say, okay, you know, Michelle, you've been a major pain in the butt inside of this thing, but the only reason why is because you haven't been able to innovate. I've got a space now where you can innovate. Is that a great way to hire people? That is exactly what I did when I left. I kept really? <laughs> um, in contact with some specific people who I knew, you know, have the um, the ability to run in, to, to work in a startup and possibly to be maybe entrepreneurial is probably the right term. Yeah. Um, but you know, for a variety of reasons and they might not be able to take that risk themselves. So, um, just give them a platform to do it. And this is interesting, right? Exactly. Because I was talking to a founder yesterday and one of the things that he was telling me about his backstory was that he grew up in a off the grid house built by solar power, you know, run by solar power. His dad was given a grant to do this. And he said he went to a school in a really small town where there were like 40 kids. And he said for the rest of his life, he felt super different. And one of the things that I said to him was, didn't you feel like that prepared you for the rest of your life though? In the sense that you have to be able to be comfortable feeling different to be able to do things that nobody else is willing to do. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent agree. Right. And I think that that people feel that. So I came out of a big corporate life as well. I don't know if we talked about this when we met in Bangkok, but you know, I worked inside of big investment banks for 20 to 25 years. And I don't think I got my soul back until five or six years later. <laughs> I'm not, you're laughing, but I'm not kidding. No, and, no, that, well, I was going to say, that's, that's kind of the other part that comes into it. So if, uh, there's sort of a target demographic in my mind of people around maybe 30 to 35 that have worked up the career ladder because that's what you do and they've made some money they realize that money's not what drives them. So you can typically get some really talented people that are at that kind of breaking point though. Is this really what I want to be doing with my career, my life? So you can get them for a lot cheaper than what a corporate would have to pay them if you give them a sense of purpose and freedom. Yeah, I mean, I say often that the year that I made the most money was the year that I was most miserable. And again, I don't know if it's coincidental or if there's causality there. But I think it's somewhere in the middle. And the reality was that I realized then that I'm not working for the money. I'm working for the impact. And I feel like I can have more impact today. And my revenue is much lower than it was that particular year. And I'm streets happier. And I think that's the other thing you can sell as a startup to people that you're trying to hire. And that is, do you want to do something with impact or do you want to do something just to make money? Because it's in a way, it's kind of binary, at least at the beginning, particularly in the early stages. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. And I think... At the same time, you need to have a level of 
um, wealth or some money that you've already made to give you the ability to make that decision and take a bit of a risk. Um, so it's a little bit difficult if you're sort of working week to week to pay the rent. Um, it's more difficult to make that decision. Yeah, I mean, I want to be really clear about this, right? If you go and look at some of the most successful entrepreneurs or business starters, right? Look at Bill Gates, came out of a very wealthy family. When he dropped out of Harvard, he wasn't worrying how to eat, right? And the same thing with, yep. you know, Zuckerberg and the founder of Snapchat and all these, you know, a lot of these other people in the U.S. had founded big companies. They had a level of comfort. I'm not going to say that they were wealthy, but they definitely had a level of comfort and they were able to take risk first, right? So if you can find those people, you're doing a good job, I think, when you're hiring. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. So do you want to, now that we've established that, do you want to tell me a little bit about how you found out about Creatively Squared and how you got involved, what your role is and where you see stuff going? Sure. I'd like to say that it was a genius moment where I spotted an opportunity in the market, but actually it came from my wife. Um, I love it. <laughs> so she is an incredibly creative person, um, works for a uh, she's a graphic designer by trade and works for a newspaper in Brisbane, has done for 12 years almost now, but doesn't have really have a creative outlet. So it's it's more sort of the same work day in, day out, putting the paper together that she does. So as a bit of a creative outlet on the side, she started an Instagram community. And the idea was that she would partner with a small store, an Etsy store or something like this to put a prize up and it might be 20 or $30 worth of product. Uh, but the idea was that they would come up with a theme each week uh, and have and invite people to create an image. So not just a straight photo, you actually had to create or style something and create something around that theme for the week. And that started almost two years ago now. So it started off small and there might have been 10 entries for the week and then it just sort of grew from there. And six months later, I was sort of watching it each week and noticed the quality of what people were doing for fun and to enter into this competition was just astounding. And they weren't professional photographers um, in most cases. Some were, uh, but it was just people that really enjoyed creating something that looked great. And so the idea kind of came from then, well, there's all these people that have this you know, amazing ability and some time on their hands to do this. And there's brands that are probably struggling to keep up with the amount of content that you need for, you know, certain like modern day marketing. So why don't we just start matching the two? And that was where the idea came from. And how long did it take you to to build this? I presume there's a lot of tech involved as well on the backside, yeah? Uh, I, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not at all. So I'm following Lean Startup to a T. Uh, we don't actually have any tech in the background. It's all stuff that we've built ourselves at the moment. Really? So, yeah. Yep. So it's a Squarespace site and we use about 20 different SaaS tools and Zapier, another tool to plug it all together. But for me, the, the key risk... It's a marketplace in effect. It's a two-sided marketplace or three-sided is what we're sort of aiming for where you've got marketers and brands on one side that need a constant source of good-looking content. It doesn't need to be billboard quality, but it just needs to look great. Right. And then you've got all these content creators and we've got 20,000 now around the world. And what we do is based on a, a brand's uh, aesthetic and their social feeds and the brief they give us is we match them with who we think would be a good match uh, and that might be based on location. It could be based on aesthetic. We ask people for the, what brand values they kind of hold dear to them. It's a bunch of keyword searches at the moment. Eventually, we're going to build out the tech. But the, the key risk when we were building this was the chicken and eggs scenario of yeah. a marketplace. And so we'd kind of solved that in a way by running these creative competitions every week for fun that keeps people joining our community, keeps that community engaged without needing to pay them anything. 
Uh, if we could pay some people, that's just a bit of a bonus. So we kind of solved that problem that way. And then the next problem in my mind was, well, this isn't really a tech problem. We don't need um, blockchain or AI or anything sort of highly technical to make this work. What we need is something that looks great and attracts one side of our market, the marketers, and builds up the other side of our community and allows us to match them somehow. So we thought the best way to do that is to focus on the key risks there rather than building out the tech, um, which was would have involved raising capital or hiring developers. Um, so that's kind of how we got to where we are today. Yeah, and what did you th- what did you think today, or what do you think today of Instagram as a platform for launching this business? Obviously, at the beginning, right, it's all photo oriented, so it's the perfect place to do that. And I love actually the idea of competitions. Everybody wants yep. to win something, right? And yep. it's a I don't want to say easy, but it's an interesting way to get people interested and involved. And even if you win a prize that has no monetary value per se, people like to win. It's a great way to do stuff, right? You can build top 10 lists or a great way to do things, top 25, whatever it is. And you disintermediate the necessity, like you said, to have a really deep tech backend platform as well. That gets people engaged, right? Exactly. And that's, you know, one of the things that's key to us is building this creative community and introducing them to each other and building that network. And you're right, it's more, the prizes are a bit of a bonus, but really the recognition from other creatives is way more valuable um yeah how do you drive that sorry and i I sorry to interrupt you but that to me is actually really interesting right so if you have somebody in brisbane interacting with somebody in boston and they're both sort of semi-professional photographers or they're you know stay-at-home dads or whatever and they both do photography to make an extra you know dime or whatever do they have a methodology for interacting with each other as well, saying, hey, you know, if you change the lighting or if you change the setting or whatever, they can then help each other out? Yeah, we so we try to facilitate that. Uh, most of it is through our Instagram community, which isn't uh, – I fully realize it's not the best way to do that. It's, it's, it is somewhat one-sided. It's one-to-many rather than a, uh, one to one, yeah. a network community. So, well, look. Yeah, so like a, we've, we've thought about ways that we could improve that. But one of the things we do is on our blog, we have, um, you know, we invite people to write guest posts on how they style, what tools they use, uh, so tips and tricks through there. We also do interviews every week with uh, creators from our community about, um, you know, what the type of work they're passionate about and how they create content at home and their background and share their stories. So we do that, but we are very passionate about building this creative community. And it is a mix of, talented amateurs people that are just getting involved for fun and we try to facilitate that too and encourage people to just get in and have a go it's about um, being creative and doing something fun not about um, having to outperform everyone else right 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 so so we're constantly thinking of ways that we can improve that and and better facilitate uh, people to meet each other and help each other and build their creative skills yeah, I mean, this sounds like a great business, right? Because it's really based on the passion that everybody has for the creativity and the photography. And it's something that's never going to go away, right? Like, there's no way you can have a bot go out and take a photograph of somebody. It's really human to human in my mind, right? Like, when I have a wedding or I have a brand or I have something, I just want some lady to be there taking the picture so I can interact with them as well, yeah? Exactly. Well, that was the hope, at least. Um, I'm sure there will be algorithms that could do that in the future, and I've seen some instances where it's sort of heading that way, but uh, hopefully we've got a little bit more lead time than some other industries. 
I think you've got way more lead. Could you imagine like a drone f- with no human involved flying around at a brand event or at a wedding? Oh God, actually I can. Um, and actually being <laughs> responsible for taking those pictures. But the reality is unless you can interact with it directly, I'm a big believer of this, right? Like I think technology is a facilitator and an accelerator of taking really skilled people and making them more skilled. And what it does is it takes away the chuff, right? So for the unskilled, and I don't, that doesn't mean amateurs, but for the unskilled, it disintermediates them out of the equation and it allows the skilled people to sort of come to the top because they get the use of better technology. They get the use of more connectivity. And that's why you have this kind of two or three sided marketplace. It connects those people that wouldn't otherwise be able to find each other, right? Exactly. Um, and I think the where we see tech playing a really important part for our business is that matching process between a brand and a content creator. Right. Um, and, and at the moment it is photography, but um, we've sort of, we stick with the term visual content because we do expand to stop motion and videos. But at the end of the day, it's, it's really about connecting people. It's somebody that needs content and a creative person who could produce something. So, you know, we, we see that the future could be huge for that for us. It should be. So you said the initial growth was so fast on the Instagram community. Can you talk a little bit about how growth is going now and how you drive that growth and where you think this thing goes in the future? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a balance. Our Instagram community is growing. We're always sort of um, thinking of ways how we do that faster. Um, we find more people to join the community, but it's not about numbers for us on that side of the market it's about engagement having the right people in the community absolutely um so we're we're certainly not focused on you know the number of followers we have or anything no, like don't that don't care don't care yeah yeah don't I care agree. at all exactly um but for now the, the challenge for us is building the other side of our market and we've had uh, we're growing somewhere between 30 and 40 percent monthly this year um, we're doing a lot more client work in other countries we've just started more projects in singapore this month uh, we've done work in the US and the UK, but we're still a small team. So balancing all of those variables is, is the challenge at the moment. Um, but the thing that I really enjoyed day to day is when I get to uh, help these talented people at home do what they're doing for fun right. and get paid to do it. So that's what but drives us. Do you get a sense that you are at the forefront of the change in the nature of work? And I know that's a deeply philosophical question. But I believe that something secular is changing in the way people work, right? In other words, you know, I'm sitting at home right now, but I've been working all morning, all day, whether it's been communicating with people in different countries or broadcasting or editing or doing whatever. It's not that I haven't been working, but I just haven't been going to an office and no one's employing me, right? I employ myself. But do you see this secular change taking place? And does that also drive one side or even both sides of this marketplace? Oh, it, it definitely. I, I see that, and I think both from the the point of view of how we're helping creative people in our community earn a living in a flexible manner, but also for the business we're building as well. Um, and I'm exactly the same. I've been sitting on my couch at home most of the day, apart from a few hours in a coffee shop. Uh, but I've been working the whole time, and as long as you have your phone on you, it doesn't matter where you are. Right. Uh, and that that was also one of the appeals for sort of jumping in full time on this business, building a a company like that, and being part of that. Um, right, but, but I, I think, think it, sorry, go ahead. I think yeah, we're definitely facilitating that for our for our community, um, and that that comes with challenges too. Um, you know, being able to set up a, a structure and a system where people can work on their own terms, uh, right. 
which works for one side of our community, but the other side of our, our marketplace is still quite traditional. It is very much nine to five working with corporates. So uh, there's a bit of a, a difference between those two halves that we need to, to work out. Um, you know, how do we manage that? Right. So what does biz dev look like to you, right? I know you were in Bangkok for a while. You also mentioned that you were in Singapore. When you talk about business development, is it getting more people on the platform on the content creation side? Is it getting more corporates involved to, you know, have services built from those other people? Or is it kind of both sides of that? And how does that look from your perspective? It's We've definitely got enough content creators around the world where that's not really our primary focus at the moment. Um, keeping those people engaged and putting the people that have signed up to our platform, getting enough work for them is is where we're spending most of our time. The business development for me is kind of 50-50. So half of my time when I'm doing that is more looking for feedback and we're still trying to validate which is the best market for us. You know, We're still an early stage company, so working out uh, what works, what doesn't, what, what our customers really need, what's the best way to deliver that. So it's more half my time is focused on that feedback loop um, and the other half of those conversations is around obviously sales and business development and working out who our best target customer is. So for us, we do quite a bit of e-commerce work. I think there's a big trend towards moving away from a white background product shot towards <laughs> products yeah. that are styled and create a sense of emotion around a um, around a product. So that's growing globally. So that's one part of our market. Uh, then we also work with sort of larger, it's called more traditional brands and agencies where we do a lot of social media content, obviously. So they're kind of how we split things. And I'm trying I'm trying to balance both um, and work out. Uh, for us, what what the best way to reach these people is? What is the, you know, what's their goal for the content that they're using? Is it are they using it for social media or is it paid advertising or um, for their websites, whatever it may be? And, and how do we uh, how do we help them best do that in a in a cheap, fast uh, manner? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to me. So companies like Lazada in Thailand and the rest of Southeast Asia, companies like Eleventh Street, which come from Korea, but how we're building a pretty big business in Southeast Asia as well not to mention Shopee and Carousel and all these companies that are sort of posting, like you said, originally product on a white background, product on a green background, product in a field. That stuff is getting really tired and tiring, I think, for both sides, Yeah. right? And that's changing, but that leaves a gigantic market to access because, you know, Lazada just took a $3 billion investment over the last three years. So something needs to give there with all that money that they're raising to create better product and better engagement for their clients. And I guess that's what you're doing, right? Hopefully. I think I think those those white background product shots show what the product is, but they don't show why you should buy it. Right. Agreed. And that's all that's all we try to focus on. It's putting the you know, the wine bottle uh, you know, with some people around it at the beach enjoying it. Like the difference between that when you're looking to purchase it is just chalk and cheese. So yeah. Um, I think that market's going to continue to grow. I think we're we're well placed strategically to capture that over the long term, um, and it's yeah, it's really exciting. Can you talk a little bit about the business model, just so I can understand? And how do you organize that globally? Right, like you said, you have twenty thousand creators on the platform, but they're spread throughout the whole world, which is the right way to do it, I think. But how do you manage that and run the business model? Yeah, so so managing that isn't really a challenge. Most clients are looking for. Um, I'd say three quarters are looking for a match based on location. So a client in Sydney wants other content creators in Sydney. So that quickly narrows down the talent pool. And then when you're matching either health and beauty clients with something similar or food clients, 
Uh, managing that really doesn't take too much of our time. It takes probably 15 to 20 minutes to, to work out who we think, you know, these handful of creators are the best ones for the job, uh, check they're available and match them up with the client. The bit that's been the biggest challenge for us is probably more on the business model side. So uh, there's many photography companies out there who have gone with the crowdsource model and that's been really popular the last few years where the concept is a client will put a brief up, you'll ask people to go and do the work for free and then you'll choose what you like best. That makes a lot of sense, I suppose, when you first do it from a client perspective it doesn't really make sense long term. So given that our, our core purpose is to help these creative people around the world earn a living from doing what they're good at, mm-hmm. we kind of turned that on its head and said, rather than putting a brief up and crowdsourcing it, we're going to focus on that matching process. So if a client comes to us and we think they should use three content creators for the job, we tell them exactly the three they're going to use. There's Got no it. selection process. There's no crowdsource um, part of it. So that's a, that's a big change and big mind shift, mind shift change from what's existing in the market at the model at the moment. So interesting. The big the big barrier for us was we thought if we do it this way, if this is a real problem for companies, then they'll they will purchase anyway. Right. And our hypothesis originally was that it'll result in better work. And funnily enough, if you pay people for the work they're doing, <laughs> they care more about it, and you get a better output. Yeah, I'm going to remove the sarcasm a little bit, but I always say, like, I don't work for free, right? And I think most people don't want to work for free. And while I will say this, that at the beginning, crowdsourcing does seem like a great idea, and it's really good to get the opinion of maybe a thousand people. But in the end, I think the best things that are created are created through curation, right? In other words, you know, whether it's a library curating books or whether it's a museum curating artwork, you know, my three-year-old niece is not going to put her artwork in the Louvre. It's just not going to happen. There are curators there, and hopefully they're fair and balanced, right, and, and objective. But at some level, curation has to happen. And that sounds to me like what you're saying. And that's a great idea, I think. And you're right. You have flipped the model over because everybody else is just going crowdsource to put the brief out, do it for free, and then hopefully you get paid for the next thing. But I don't think that works so well over time. No, and ironically, there's an economic benefit as well because if you're on the supplier side of one of those markets and you're getting chosen one in 20 times for the work you submit, you have to charge 20 times what you would charge to make up for it. And that's how those models end up working. So um, by just paying a fair and reasonable price up front, uh, it works better for both parties, we think. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I actually like this model better than the crowdsourcing model. There are some places where crowdsourcing works. Maybe it's funding. Maybe it's ICOs. I don't really want to talk about that. But in this yeah. case, when you're talking about creativity, I really believe it has to be curated. Yeah, I think that the, the key there is that crowdsourcing, when there's a value exchange both ways, works really well. Sure. So like a Kickstarter where you put a product up and a 1,000 people pay for it and everyone gets one, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. The, the crowdsourcing that's one – you know, unidirectional doesn't make as much sense. When the value is all going one way, there's little reason for the other side of the market to hang around. Agreed. So one of the things that I saw you guys do when you were in Bangkok was pitching. Yep. And is that meant to be pitching for you trying to raise money where all those companies are trying to raise money? And if you are or not, I'm, I'm just curious, like how's that going or what's the philosophy there now that you've been running the company for a while? Uh, so we've been bootstrapped at this point. Um, we were profitable for our first year, which is a dirty word when you're a startup. Is it? But <laughs> it is, is. it really? Is it really though? Um, oh, I think Tell it, me why. it can be. 
Well, I think it can be seen that way. Um, it's it's growth over everything. But we kind of took the the view that we've got a business model. We think where we can be profitable from day one and choose whether we keep bootstrapping. And we realize that the trade offs there are slower growth um, and there's risks that come with that versus raising capital and going down that route. So we are at a position now where we're kind of weighing up the the pros and cons with each and talking to a lot of founders that have gone down both routes to see, you know, that it may be a year or two ahead of where we are now to see what they think of their decision post doing it, um, which has right. been really interesting. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're not a um, – we're not an organization that's built for social benefit. We do want to be you know, making a profit and building a, a global business. But at the same time, we are not 100% focused on generating as much revenue and profit as we can. So if a decision comes where we can support more creators around the world or potentially pay them more than we are now, then that'll probably will lean towards that rather than making more money ourselves. So right. if, you, if you've made that decision to, to stick with that purpose, then that may potentially influence um, the type of investment you can take on. Maybe. I'll, I will say this, though, and then then I'll probably let you go. I was listening to a conversation with Craig Newmark yesterday. Craig, you may know, is the founder of Craigslist. Never raised any external money, bootstrapped the company completely, focused like you did on making a fair and balanced amount of profit You know, with this concept of at what point is it enough money um, and never raised external capital. And no one seems to think that him, he is a billionaire sort of underperformed, if that makes any sense, right? In other words, I don't think there's one growth path for every single company. I don't think there's a cookie cutter way to determine whether you should or shouldn't raise money. It's really up to you, I think. If you can bootstrap the company, you can control growth on your own, go for it. Yep. Yep. That's what I think. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that's some good feedback, but food for thought for us over the next few months, I think. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, I feel like I've taken up too much of your time already. I really appreciate the conversation and I learned a lot. I just want to say thank you so much, Scott. Great. Really appreciate the opportunity. It was great to chat.